0: Peter's saying, have no fear of them. Fear God, but don't fear man.
1: Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch.
0: Father, we come before You, and Lord, as we think about Your goodness, we often say this phrase, and I know at times I struggle to actually mean it. But we will say that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Father, I repent in my weakness because that actually is a biblical truth. It's just part of who You are. That You're good when You go our way, yes. But God, remind us right now that, that You are good even when You don't go our way. So Father, I pray here whatever baggage we've brought into the room, the hurts, the disappointments, perhaps mistreatment by others, Father, I pray that that right now, just right now, that You would shift our gaze from the things of this earth and that right now, all over this room, we would set our minds on things above. And so Holy Spirit, Right now, we just pray against the schemes of the enemy. We expose them for what they are. His lies and His deceptions. And Holy Spirit, You are welcome in this place. I pray You move in this place like never before. And so, Father, as I yield myself to You, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to You and You alone, my Lord, my Rock, and my Redeemer. And I pray this in the mighty and the matchless name that's above every name. That on that day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that King Jesus is Lord. And we pray this together in unison, in one accord we pray this in Jesus name and all God's people shouted. Amen. Take your bible and turn to 1st Peter. 1st Peter chapter 3. We are in our word by word verse by verse study of 1st Peter so I invite you to turn to the New Testament 1st Peter chapter 3 looking at two verses a day 13 and 14. And as you're turning there, the the title of our message today is simply this, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of today? I'm sure right now our minds are spinning because if we're truthful and really analyzing that question, what are you afraid of? What am I afraid of? There's things right now that I'm can surmise that are boggling in our minds. Fear of health challenges. Fear of financial issues. Fear of relational breakdowns. Fear of what's going on in our country and, and the division that is on the horizon, which is not of the Lord. And all that's going on in society and how people embrace sin. And they, they say that, hey, you know what, sin's okay. As a matter of fact, why don't we start celebrating sin? And they begin to buy into this. They begin to drink the Kool-Aid of the world. What are you afraid of today? Like truthfully, what is it you're afraid of? When you begin to understand what you are afraid of, And by the power of the Holy Spirit, for the true believer that He indwells you, that no matter what you are afraid of, the Bible says this, that God did not give the true believer a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and sound mind. That we begin to go back into the truth, the the, the well of Scripture, the benchmark, what we live by, it's our rudder, it's our guide. And here's what happens, church, that when you begin to live in that, when you begin to walk in that, when you begin to understand that the Lord is on my side, I will not fear what can man do to me. It begins to create in you as you feed your soul with the truth of God's Word. When you begin to understand that it's the truth of God's Word that will set you free and you begin to step out of darkness and you step into the light, God will begin to do something in your life that you could never hope, dream, nor imagine. Matter of fact, let's do this together right now. Repeat after me. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. fear. What can man do to me? Now, if you believe that today, if you believe the truth of God's Word, that's Psalm 118, verse 6, if you believe that today, can you imagine, church, can you imagine what we can accomplish together for God's glory? But the reality... is that so often we walk in fear. The enemy, one of his greatest tools is fearing man. And the Bible says, I, you, the true believer, must fear God. When you think through that thought, I want you to look in your Bible right now as I open mine with you. And I want us to look at these two verses from 1 Peter. And here's what the Bible says. 1 Peter 3, 13 and 14, and I'm reading from the ESV translation. Peter writes, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. That'll preach right there. The issue in our culture today is actually not what we fear. It's who we fear. See, often what happens in evangelicalism is, and you've seen this happen now for years, but there's been this predominant cancer Throughout churches, that hey, we got to become like the world to attract the world. Why would anyone who's already living in the sewer want to go to another sewer? It's just a scheme of the enemy to get people out from under the word. It's crafty, it's enticing. It's alluring, it's seducing, but it will never set your heart free. You'll be on a cul-de-sac going forever in one direction, round and round and round, but you will never get to where you need to go. We were talking this morning earlier, and one person made a comment from a friend that said something like this, hey, Christians, you know, that they're mean and they're not kind, and I used to be one, and I'm no longer one, and and they're trying to get me to be like them. To which I retorted, I'm not trying to get anyone to be like me. I'm trying to get a bunch of people to start being like Jesus. When you give your life to Christ, when it's real, when it's true, God will do something in you. He will begin to give you a distaste for the world. You don't want that stuff because you know it's the cul-de-sac going nowhere. But in the midst of that, there's going to be pain. Because you're going to have to choose. We know this to be true, church, that you can no longer be a cultural Christian in America. Those days are gone. Like, you're going to get called out at work, maybe tomorrow, and they're going to say, where do you stand on this issue? And you can no longer hunker in the bunker. you are got to fall one way or the other. And if you're not under the bedrock of Scripture, if you're not in the bedrock of Scripture, your roots that are not deep will get pulled out. You will topple over in a heartbeat with every wind and doctrine because the itching ears are everywhere. And Peter's warning the believers in 1 Peter. He's saying right here in verse 13, He says, Now, who is there to harm you? If you are zealous for what is good. Now, he's not saying that, look, there's no one out there to harm you. Actually, just the contrary. He's he's making a point here. When you're zealous for the Lord, if you're around non believers, that's convicting. If you're around people that are wearing sheep's costumes, but they're not really sheep, it's very convicting. And when you're zealous for the things of the Lord, as Paul learned, as the disciples learned, and as Jesus experienced, the crowd gets smaller. Peter's saying, look, don't panic. That's what he's saying. He's saying, don't panic. When you walk in truth, God is a rewarder of those who walk in truth by faith. He blesses those. He comes through for those. He makes a way where there seems to be no way. Hint, Red Sea. Hint, Jordan River. Your life to Christ will be painful to some degree. But for those who love truth, you don't shy away from it. You actually dive headfirst deeper into it. He says this phrase here, church, I think it's very interesting. He says, if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Now, how many people woke up this morning going, you know what, I can't wait to suffer because I can't wait to be blessed. I mean, typically suffering and blessing, at least in the American culture, don't go hand in hand, do they? It's like, wait a minute, it's like suffering, blessing, not tracking with you, chief. Where are you going with this? That's why we get back to the truth. We get back to Scripture. And when we sit under Scripture, when we get under this, when we marinate on it, when we say it's my shield, it's my guide, it's my rudder, here's what happens is the guardrails of Scripture keep me in truth in the midst of suffering and in the midst of darkness. There's darkness everywhere. But the good news, you guys know this, don't you, church? The Bible says this, That the light will never be overcome by the darkness. Say that with me out loud. The light will never be overcome by the darkness. That should give you confidence. You walk in truth, you walk in the light. You know that, as was once said, you're not hoping for the victory, you operate from the victory. And Peter says, I want you to understand this principle. Write down key number one in your notes there, in your bulletin. Key number one. Here it is. Those who are zealous for the Lord and who stand for the truth of God's Word will suffer, but they will also be blessed. Key number one, write it down. Those who are zealous for the Lord and who stand for the truth of God's Word will suffer, but they will also be blessed. You know, we live in a culture today where there is a hyper-absorption of selfishness. The Bible says in the last days, men will be what? Lovers of themselves. James 3.16, you want to write that down somewhere in your notes. Maybe your family right now has great strife. Just take your family unit. Maybe there's great strife in your family. Well, James 3.16 explains what's going on. James 3.16. It says this for where there is selfishness and envy, confusion and every evil thing will be there. Just think through that. Selfishness and envy, and the byproduct is hey, we've just signed up for confusion. And every evil thing to come into our home. You see how this works, church? That when we get into God's word and we're zealous for the Lord, the enemy will begin to twist and distort, and he will get the people working for him to go do his bidding. Well, what do we do? Well, I think what we need to do is just go back to scripture. Write down Matthew chapter 5 under the supporting verse section. Write down Matthew chapter 5. Verses 10 through 12. Here's what it says Blessed, there's that word, happy, content, joyful. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Have we heard something similar this morning from 1 Peter chapter 3? Interesting how scripture is the best commentary in scripture and the dots connect. What's it going to say? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who votes yes for that one? Raise your hand. Amen. 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And then here it is. Verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. Why? For great is your reward for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you see we have a choice for the true believer in the room today the bottom line is this you're going to have to stand for the truth at some point in your life people are going to come against you this isn't 50 years ago I know 50 years ago we could you could kind of do this stuff we're in a whole different culture today Matter of fact, it's just not when you stand for truth, but when you stand with the truth tellers. Now you've really signed up. Rejoice! Oh, but you—that's not my default. Like when I'm in pain, when I'm suffering, when I'm mistreated, I don't default. So what do you do? You have to make the choice. We all have all these choices to make every day. And typically, the first choice that I make in the day will now set the tone for the day. Typically, the first choice I make in the day will now set the tone for the day. So you get into God's Word, you're fervent in prayer, you're praying with your husband, you're praying with your wife, you're reading Scripture, whatever you do. And those choices will set that tone. Paul says it like this. Another supporting verse, Philippians. Write this one down. Philippians one twenty nine. Philippians one twenty nine. And here's what he writes on this thought of suffering and blessing. It's this dichotomy. It's this, just this weird, fleshly, human concept that we go. I'm still struggling, preacher blessing and suffering. Well, that's why we go back to the truth. We go back to God's Word and we say, well, what does the Word of God say? Matter of fact, that's a great question to always ask, isn't it? Regardless of what situation you're dealing in, you just always ask, well, what does God's Word say? Well, here's what Philippians one twenty nine says. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, see the mission, see the reason, see the why, that you, make it personal, should not only believe, that's a good thing, in him, but also suffer for his sake. See, there Paul is. He's writing to the church in Philippi, and if you were to go up in Philippians chapter 1, you would see this text there in the preceding verses, and it basically says this. Paul's saying, look, here's the deal. I'm in prison Uh, The whole praetorium guard here, the whole praetorium guard, because I'm in chains. That the furtherance of the gospel has actually happened because I'm in chains. And because he's in chains, it says here that the whole praetorium guard has heard about this Jesus who's called the Christ, upwards of 10,000 soldiers. Church, this should encourage me and encourage you that your pain always has purpose, that whatever you got to face tomorrow, whatever the challenges are in your life, maybe it's that work situation, you're going, oh man, I need a vacation like forever. I don't want Monday morning to hit because I, I know who i got to go deal with. No matter what you're dealing with, no matter what I'm dealing with, as we look to Christ, as we give it to Christ, our pain always has purpose. So when we rejoice in the midst of the suffering, as Peter is saying to do, as Paul right here is saying to do, do you see the outflow and the byproduct of the intentional choice to rejoice? It's blessing. But our natural default is not to rejoice at least mine isn't my natural default is to lord help (laughs) get me out of here and often as you know and i know in the christian life that in the midst of the furnace that's often where god says i got you right where i want you And there aren't any detours or escape hatches. If he wants to pull you out, he'll pull you out. I've learned this over the years. But if he wants to keep you in, he'll jump in there with you. Praise Jesus. Amen? And this is exactly what Peter and Paul are writing here in these separate Scriptures. but what's the command? Like, what's the real command on the back end of this? Now look in your Bible. Here it is. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Not a trick question, but who's them? Anyone know? Well, it's the people doing the persecuting. The evil, the wicked, the wolves. Have no fear of them. It's interesting when you think about this human life that we all live, we only have one of two options regarding the fear. We are either fearing man or we're fearing God. You cannot do both simultaneously. And for the people that are living the most victory-filled life, as Paul would say, in all these things, (laughs) not apart from all these things, actually, in all these things, church, we are more than what. Conquerors, say that with me this morning. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord. Key number two, I want you to write this down. I can only fear God or fear man, but not both simultaneously which one will it be? Question mark. I can only fear God or fear man, but not both simultaneously. Which one will it be? It's interesting that he uses these two phrases here, have no fear of them. It's that original word phobeo. It's where we get our English word phobia. Now it's very even more interesting that when we are to fear God, this is a healthy fear. This is a holy awe and reverence. This is a, whoa, like you're just amazing. <laughs> Like, I finally see you for who you are, God, and and there is none like you. And, oh, I I just can't believe that you'd give your son for me, that that he would die, that that you would execute and butcher him on a cruel Roman cross to to set me free, that I could go out and I could go in my neighborhood and and I could go win the lost at any cost, and I I could be the one on the mission that says, I'm going to give everything I got for, for Jesus Christ for all the days of my life. That's when you just begin to stand amazed in his presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And you gaze in holy awe and wonder at the glory and the splendor of the one who took you, who took me, that wasn't looking for a free pass to heaven, but's looking for the truth of the gospel that says, I'm dead. I'm dead. And you, Jesus, take dead people and you make them alive for your glory. That's that fear. Just holy all, You're just amazing. I just want to live for you all the days of my life. I just want my family and my friends and my co-workers and my neighbors just come to know you. That's what happens when when the gospel goes from from your head to your heart. And it begins to rip it wide open and it takes over. And you're never the same again. That's the gospel. That's the fear of God. Not that we'd be troubled. It means agitated. Those evil people that he's talking about here in these verses are people that want to hurt you. Not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually. They're out to do harm. Now they'll do it covertly. And they'll do it all with a smile. But their motive is to destroy you. And Peter's saying, have no Fear of them. Fear God, but don't fear man. How about I give you some encouraging verses in the midst of this? Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. Write it down, 8 through 9. Write these down that will feed your soul. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 8 through 9. Nehemiah. One of my favorites in scripture. And here he is rebuilding. He's revitalizing. And he's got some folks that aren't overly excited about truth. And he got Sanballat and Tobiah. And here's what he says He says, Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. Why? For they, the opposition, they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen our hands, amen? I don't know about you where you are in your life today, but the enemy wants your hands to drop. He wants your marriage to flop. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy everything that you're doing for Jesus. And we just come back at the enemy and we say, look, we don't take orders from you. We take orders from King Jesus. We operate in the royal, righteous blood of King Jesus. We pray that over our homes. We pray that over our lives. We pray that over our church. And when we begin to do that and operate in the victory that's already been won, we don't have to fear people. We just fear God. And that's my prayer. My prayer is that the fear of God would take over Chester, Virginia. I just pray for the fear of God to sweep over Chester, Virginia. How about 2 Corinthians? Paul now to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 10. Write this down. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 10. Paul gets really honest here. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited. Hmm, interesting. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations he was having, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Sound familiar? To keep me from becoming conceited. Okay, we see the why. Three times, verse 8, three times. How many times, church? Three. Three times I pleaded. He pleads with the Lord three times that it should be taken from me, that it should leave me. But He says to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My caress is sufficient for you. Go back for a moment. Think on Paul back there in Philippians one it It's been granted to you. It's been charis to you to not only believe in Jesus, but also to suffer. It's been granted. It's like, hey, Here's a big bag of suffering. Merry Christmas. Paul says here in 2 Corinthians, my grace is sufficient for you. He's writing there to that church as the Lord is speaking to him. Why? For my power, God says, is made perfect. My power is made perfect in weakness. So in the midst of your weaknesses today, in the midst of your potential marital collapse today, God can take the mess and he can create the message. He can take your trials and create triumph. He can take your setbacks. And today, as you surrender to him and you go, man, we're all in, man, we're in for Jesus, we're in for the gospel. He can take your setbacks and create the comebacks. But I and you, God, embrace this deep theological point that His grace is sufficient when He says yes, but His grace is still sufficient when God says no. Do you believe that today? And then he goes on, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly. There's a lot of rejoicing going on and suffering in the Bible. Do you guys know this? Of my weaknesses, why? Here's the why. I love this, the why. So that. Do you see this? I'm going to boast in the weaknesses. There's a reason behind this. Not because I've lost my mind, Paul says. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, not the sake of self. Then I am, church, content. Ooh. With what? Weaknesses. Insults. Insults. Hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, church, then I am... Wow. It's powerful. You get a group of people that begin to love God's Word and begin to live God's Word. And I believe that group of people, when they wake in the morning... I believe Satan and his minions are scrambling throughout the halls of hell, so to speak, going, oh no. Oh no. We're in trouble because they are awake. And they fear God and they no longer fear man. As that thought was crystallizing in my mind all week, I wrote down one final scripture I want to give you. And here it is. Write this down. Second Timothy, chapter 1, verses 11 through 12. What do we know about Paul? Do we know anything about Paul? Easy life, floated on clouds, had a few Bonbons had a big harp, strummed kumbaya all throughout the Christian walk. Sounds kind of like Paul, doesn't it? Let's see here, shipwrecked, beaten, abandoned by friends, caused riots wherever he went, got stoned, not on drugs, but literally people throwing stones at him. And persecuted, insulted. When he says this back in 2 Corinthians, this is not like, a, you know, filler. This is not like, hey, let's just dream up some ideas. He's writing from experience with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And that's like to start the list. And somehow he comes out of this equation going, even if none go with me, I'm following Jesus. How do you get to that point in your life, church? Truthfully, how do you get to the point when the pressure mounts and when you're squeezed, and you know this by now, man, when you're squeezed, when I'm squeezed, what's in me, what's in you will come out of us. And when you got the Word of God, when you have the Word of God, the Holy Word of God that is just driven deep, I'm talking deep into your heart, just deep into your heart, deep into your mind, deep into your soul, when, not if, when you get squeezed... When the pressure mounts, when the bottom falls out, when you get the health report and the financial collapse and the marriage is on the rocks, when those things happen, if your roots are not in the Word of God, you will bend, you will buckle, you will break all day long. I was over at uh, one of those small hardware stores the other day where, I don't know, there was, I don't know a thousand aisles. so i walk in there i'm looking for some grass seed because it's almost october 31 right so i'm looking for some grass seed so i'm looking i don't really think about grass seed so i'm looking at all these packages and i came across one that had some really nice designs on it so i thought hey i'll get that one that makes sense right let's get the pretty one It's very interesting because when I looked at the the drawings and the illustrations on there, it fascinated me for a moment because they had two comparisons, and and this is what the companies will always do, right? Because they're promoting their own grass seed. Of course, they showed the competitors' grass seed, and they showed the roots. And they they were these teeny-weeny, weak little roots on the left. Of course, their roots were amazing. These are like, this is grass seed on steroids, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you could see the biceps in these roots. This is amazing. Well, you can imagine, I, I bought this bag of grass and you know, I have no idea what I'm doing. What do you do with it? Do you like lay it in your living room? No, oh, put it in the grass. Oh, okay. But it really struck me because when I looked at that picture, I thought, what a beautiful example of so many people who profess the name of Jesus. Just teeny-weeny roots. That at the first sign of any pressure or challenge, let's pack our bags. (laughs) I gotta head for the piney woods. And when I look at the life of Paul and the disciples and the prophets of Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel, and of course, I look at the main one, the man himself, King Jesus, all I see is a pattern of deep roots. And the only way you can have deep roots ultimately is that you give your life truly to Jesus. If you've never truly given your life to Jesus, you can't have deep spiritual roots. It won't happen. And then once you give your life to Christ, you're in the Word, you're in prayer, you're in discipleship, you're in a church family, you're feeding your soul, you're getting nourishment in there, and now that marriage begins to flourish, right? Then those challenges, even the midst of the struggle, begin to flourish. Why? Because you go back to what Paul says right here in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. Right here in 2 Timothy, he says this, chapter 1, 11 through 12. Here is his anthem. This is Paul's anthem. Listen to this. For which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Anyone want to be a preacher? But, I love this, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced. I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what he has entrusted to me. Wow. In the midst of your fiery furnaces, do you ever do that? Like in the midst when the pressure is turned up and you're going, wait a minute, do I fear God or do I fear man? Which way do I go? That one or the other, which one do I do? Which one's going to be less painful as we typically do, right? Which one's less painful? Do you get to the point where you just go, you know what, I'm going to fear the Lord. I know I'm going to take a beating for it. I'm going to fear the Lord. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to stand for the truth of the gospel. Why? Because you can shout when it's real in your life. For I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced, without any shadow of a doubt, I'm convinced that he is able, not me, not you, that Christ is able To keep that which I've committed to him until that day. Church, say that with me right now. Christ is able. One more time, louder. Would you believe that today? I believe it. I'm staking my life on it. And the beauty is when you stake your life on it, here's the cool part you will have no fear of them nor be troubled. Amen. Father, we come before You. Lord, as we lift up Your Word, as we lift up Your glory, Lord, I just pray that You would speak in such a powerful way. And maybe there's one here today that's never given their life to you truthfully. And they're living in fear. Not a holy awe and reverence of you, but they're just fearful of man. Oh Lord, I pray, free them, free them today, Holy Spirit, from that self-imposed prison. Just throw away those keys and free them. Maybe you're hurting today. Maybe your marriage is going through a hard time and you just want someone to pray over you. Now, the enemy is going to say, don't step out for prayer because the enemy wants to keep you isolated. But I pray that there will be many with courage today to step out and say, I need some prayer. We all need prayer. I know I need prayer. Prayer and asking for prayer is not a sign of weakness. Asking for prayer is actually a sign of strength because you understand who gives you the strength. So don't buy the lie of the enemy. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Make it personal right now. Maybe ask the question right now, am I truly fearing man? And maybe the Holy Spirit's saying, Yeah, that's what you're doing. And you need to start fearing God with a holy Hall in reference. For those of you that never have given your life to Christ truthfully, I pray today's the day to get this straightened out. Just to worship the Lord. It's a time of worship. It's not like a conclusion to a gathering, it's a time of worship. And so, Father, would you move? Holy Spirit, would you move in this place today? Whatever you want to happen next, God, I pray that the enemy and all his plans and all his schemes will come to nothing right now. And I pray that we would seek your face, turn from our wicked ways, hear from heaven, and you're going to heal our land. You're going to heal our families. So we give everything to you. Oh, we love you, Lord. Thank you for giving us, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just say thank you, Jesus, right now. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, here's your time, not ours. May we respond as you want us to. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.